Welcome to FDU's Pathway podcast series, episode four. My name is Adam Block, and I am FDU CEO, and I'm your host. So where are we today? Uh, here we are, post-Brexit, and working our way through the pandemic, two events that no one would have wished to occur concurrently. Business and industry are beginning to work through the consequences forced upon us by the pandemic. The BBC reported today that the UK economy shrank by 1.5% in the first quarter of 2021, but there was a strong recovery in March with the economy growing 2.1%, boosted by retail spending and the return of schools. So that's good news. We're some way through uh, the new US presidential era. COVID-19 vaccines are on a super accelerated roller, which is absolutely fantastic. The days are getting longer and somewhat hotter, which is also great. Thankfully, the Football Super League wasn't imposed upon us, and my kids are trying to work out whether they should be backing Mikel Arteta going forward as manager of Arsenal after the club's defeat in the semi-final of the Europa League, and are questioning some of Gatlin's choices for the British Lions squad. So what do we need? We need continued inspiration and purpose, and that is key for all parts of society now, including those who are considering their careers and passions. As part of the Pathway series, FDU spends time with highly successful individuals who come from many different walks of life. The goal is to inspire the minds of teenagers and adults alike as they consider their life journeys and make career choices. So, who better to help us achieve that than my guest today, Andy Denton, CEO of Alpha Financial Software, a FTSE listed software and services company. Welcome, Andy. Good to be here, Adam. Fantastic. Really good to have you on board. So Andy, you are uh, the CEO of Alpha Financial Software and you lead the group. It's been a fantastic journey for you over many years. You joined the company in 1995 and became a member of the board of directors in 2003, leading sales and marketing. You took on the position of COO in 2010 and became CEO in September 2016. You are director and joint founder of the Leasing Foundation, an organization that supports the leasing and asset finance industry through charitable activities, research and development. And you often spend other time working with the charities such as Cancer Journey. And I believe, so you've told me in the past, that you were a budding sportsman in your school days. Actually, Andy, I did a bit of research on your, on your name. And uh, as far as Englishmen and Scottishmen are concerned, Denton is a habitational name from numerous places. The vast majority, including those in Cambridgeshire, Cumbria, Dumfries, County Durham, Kent, Lancashire, Lincolnshire, Norfolk, Northumberland, Oxfordshire, Sussex, and West Yorkshire. And they are named from Old English, Denu, which means valley, and Tun, which means enclosure or settlement. My sense is that in Alpha, you've built a fantastic settlement, which has extended globally over the years. And I know you're a big people person. Just wondered, does that, does that resonate with you in any way? It does, of course, because I don't know whether it's... It- to what extent it's okay or even cliche to do so, but I, whenever I talk to the LinkedIn world about a job at Alpha, I will always talk about it as an opportunity to to, to join our family. And actually, in your in your introduction, you know, you you talked about COVID, you talked about the strange times that that we live in, and I think it's a, it's been a fantastic opportunity actually to shine a spotlight on organizations that do feel like a family and have continued to feel like a family through the pandemic, looking after people's well-being, looking after their welfare, using their corporate voice. You know, I'm sure these are all things that we'll come onto, but absolutely it does resonate. But I have a trump card to play in return. <laughs> Denton is not my name. Ah. The story goes that um, my paternal grandfather, our family are, are from the Royal Valley in Wales. And okay. paternal grandfather um, signed up in the First World War uh, and was invalided out. Uh, most people will be skipping for joy, but um, the uh, coal mining at that time in the Ronda was probably not a great gig, I think we can all assume. So what he did was he took the name of a, of a dead man. So John Jenkels became Jack Denton. Um, and we kept the name. My father's middle name was Jenkels. I'm pleased to say... Sorry for any Jekylls listening that I did not get that name. <laughs> but yeah, there's a different path that would have had me as, as Andrew Jekylls. I, I think that's an absolutely fascinating story. I'm absolutely delighted that my tiny bit of research has prompted that. That's a, br- <laughs> that's a brilliant story. And maybe next time I talk to you, I'll have to look into the uh, 
found the name Je- Jekylls and see whether that, uh, well, see where the, the history from, of that uh, is. He was originally from Bantry Bay in um, um, in uh, County Cork. You can find one or two Jekylls in the, uh, the cemetery. Um, I'm off to the online encyclopedia as we speak. Fantastic. Yeah. That's great. Andy, let's, let's start with your early days. Most of the people that I interview talk about how much their early days have impacted their lives going forward. And I think that we, we all recognise that to be the case. Let's start with school. Just tell us, uh, tell the audience a little bit about your experience of school. I really enjoyed school. Um, it, was a, it was a great place to be. And um, this will make me sound incredibly old, but it's, it's only when you've finished your, your school days and your university days that you look back and you realise what great times they, uh, they were and, and for, for many people, um, great opportunities. I was a good boy. Um, I was bright. <laughs> I, I certainly, I certainly wasn't a whole load of trouble. Although um, um, I certainly wasn't, uh, wasn't a goody two shoes either. I guess um, I really enjoyed my sport, um, and I really enjoyed, enjoyed my lessons, and and in particular reading. And um, I was, I was a real sponge um, uh, for knowledge. And like, you know, as as things progressed, like uh, like a lot of people, um, my reading certainly went through its uh, pretentious phase where I started absorbing um, philosophy, Nietzsche and stuff like that. Your listeners can't see it, but some, some of those books at Wolf Thunder um, are still behind me. I remember being given Tom's Midnight Gun very, very early as a, as a book to read. So reading was a big passion. Sport was a really big passion. I really enjoyed getting involved in team sport. The odd thing was the sport that I was probably best at was cross-country running. And it, it's certainly a, a thing that if we're going to talk about careers and guidance and, and where you go, then I'm sure we'll touch upon today again. But I did make quite a punchy decision when I was about 13 that I just didn't want to do it anymore. And this conflation of a thing that you're really good at and then the fact you should just do it because you're good at it, even if you don't, don't enjoy it necessarily. Yeah. For me, cross country was about getting on a coach, going somewhere, getting changed in the rain on uh, linoleum, running until you're sick and, and then going home. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm sure many people enjoy cross country. I'm certainly not um, not going to take issue with that. But for me, I wasn't enjoying it, so I didn't do it after a period. But did lots and lots of things and really enjoyed it. So yeah, but my school days, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Just out of interest, when you made that decision, and and uh, you know what, it, it's great. Many people are, are fortunate enough to have ha- have kids or teach kids or, or, or mentor kids, etc. And of course, when uh, a young kid makes a, a good decision, you know, that they're comfortable with, you know, you, you've got to respect that. And it's, it's a sign of growing maturity. But so you, you, you gave up cross country, you made the decision to do that. And yes. what did you end up doing instead? Um, the- I carried on doing athletics. So I enjoyed running. I'm, I'm too old and too big and my knees are, are too gone to, to do it uh, anymore. But um, a bit younger, I, I ran a couple of marathons and enjoyed doing that. I, I played rugby. So um, I Teachers, teachers are so important as uh, as inspirers of kids, aren't they? But Mr. Jackson, in his part time, in his spare time, did all the cross country stuff. And Mr. Garnham turned us into um, into a rugby team, um, including a song which uh, um, which told every single forward exactly where to be in, in every move. You know, these are these are these are very very fine memories of, of moments when we should have been doing geography, and actually we were all we were all singing a song about a ruck, but. They were such important times, and um, and you know I like to turn my hand at every sport. Played tons of tennis, yep. enjoyed table tennis, enjoyed badminton until it sort of started to interfere with my tennis, and I got a bit too wristy, and it, it didn't all quite work. So yeah, I'd, I'd throw myself at any sport. I love sport. Well, that's an interesting point, and I, I mean those early days of multi-sport activity, individual or team. I just wonder whether that you know w- whether that's made in some way, shape or form, a lasting impact on, on how you've driven your career and how you live your life generally? A bit, you know. I have to say, and it's interesting that I was um, fairly late last night talking to um, a Spanish customer of ours um, and one of the gentlemen on the, uh, on the call, Juan Carlos, is that very, very rare thing, a Spanish rugby ex-international. Okay. Um, and we're being um, old guys and talking about what we miss about the family, but it's not, the rugby family is not, you know, the, the contact is not necessarily playing the game, although it's a fantastic game. It's the friends you make, the way it works, the community. But uh, I think so. Team sport and rugby in particular, forwards and backs, um, two very different units linked by a pivot in the middle, yet working together to the same aim. That, that rugby cliche about tearing 
holes in each other and uh, then enjoying each other's company afterwards. And, 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 you know, huge tolerance. It's probably not the kind of podcast that we necessarily want to start to go into the abhorrent um, behaviour that seems to surround football, particularly around bigotry at the moment. Mm-hmm. Rugby seems to be just a much more accepting, um, accepting community. And I think, I think there are a lot of lessons that can be learned from that community. I'm, I'm certainly not saying it's perfect, but there's plenty in team sports and in rugby in particular, I think, to aspire leaders. Absolutely. No, I think it makes sense. Well, it sounds like Mr. Garman did a very good job with you guys. And, um, he did all right. Uh, <laughs> he did okay. E- equally, you said you were a, a good boy. And, and I guess, you know, at the same time with all the sporting activity, did you kind of manage to to kind of gain some balance in terms of, you know, the general school curriculum and, and education in itself? Yeah, I mean, you know, the sport was the balance, but I remember having good friends and a relatively a relatively easy, easy life. So, yeah, it, it did. Um, there are certainly times when when that balance can be upset a little bit. I mean, what one of the characteristics of my year, born in 1972, yep. is that we were the first to do GCSEs. And I think a combination of lack of alignment between A-level and GCSEs, as well as, frankly, hubris on my part. Never failed at anything, never got anything wrong. Did lead to uh, quite a lot of pressure around my A-levels. And uh, and actually, I didn't do I didn't do brilliantly. Um, it gave me the, the... Luckily, the university let me in anyway. And um, it probably gave the kick I needed to not just enjoy my university time, but also to apply myself to work hard. But yeah, generally... Generally, the balance was there, and yeah, and, and balance is so important. Unless you have a time and space, my father would say, be able to step away from yourself occasionally, then um, it's it's very difficult to be productive and successful. Just let's um, dwell on that a little bit. So, excelling at all all aspects of life during school, a li- little blip at the A A level. I'm not suggesting it was major in any way, but a little blip as you describe it. Did you kind of learn anything from that at all? Yeah, um, I learned a huge lesson which is never to engage in or accept hubris. Uh, and my company, we, we are absolutely certain that we are at the top of what we do. But that doesn't mean that you have to not take competition seriously, not work hard every day to do the very, very best job that you can and not strive to get better. So yes, that, that was the moment when hubris exited my life, hopefully not to return again in, in any major way. And I think it, it's a massive point it's one of the ways in which I measure myself, the Alpha family, and uh, also something that we look for with the various young people that um, that come through our door at various st- steps of their career. A little tip, there will be lots of people when you engage that are measuring hubris uh, and indeed arrogance. So uh, uh, make sure that you're nice to the receptionist. I'm, I'm sure, Adam, you tell all your candidates that, <laughs> that, um, that every everybody in an organisation counts, right? I think that's right, and even even the most senior candidates get that kind of advice from us. But but there you go. <laughs> right, um, so um, j- just as we leave school, uh, the, the the school era for you, I'm just curious. You know, were there one or two uh, you know items or, or periods or, or learnings that you came out of school with that you really can say actually that had an impact on on my life going forward? Yeah, I suppose the thing that I came away with was was what for me has been an evolving story. I mean, I, I'm an engineer by training, and I'm a I'm a natural engineer. And I think school has taught me that you don't have to know the answer, you don't have to know where the journey ends. You just need to take the next step with uh, with a feeling of confidence. And and school didn't necessarily teach me that, but you know, if I were looking back and and baking in some emerging insight into my younger self, I would say that's definitely the case. And I think I think we put pressure on each other, on colleagues, on ourselves all the time to, to know where the journey is. So now take the next step and reassess, take the next step and reassess. You don't need to know where you're going. You don't need to know where your career ends. You know, I didn't expect to be doing what I'm doing now. Um, just take the next step and be happy with it. Absolutely. I think that's a very interesting point. The Pathway podcast is aimed at older teenagers looking at career options. We always are hearing of young adults entering the workforce that listen to the cast and and adults transitioning between careers. And I think there is sometimes, particularly for the younger folk, and I'm allowed to say that given my maturity, um, you know, are 
sometimes highly pressured by looking too far ahead and, and perhaps missing out on the opportunities that are right in right in front of them. So I, I think that's an, I think it's a really interesting interesting point. So we leave we leave school and, and we move on to university. And I guess the first question about this period of life is how did you choose your degree? And I guess that will eventually lead to potentially, you know, how did that help you choose your career path? I feel a little bit like I I dodged a bullet and avoided doing that thing that I very often advise other people to do, which is do something that you really enjoy, which gives you the best possible chance of being good at it. So the 17-year-old me was um, was absolutely adamant that he was going to be a biochemist. Okay. And I'm sure that would be great. And I'm sure I'd have come away with a, a degree in biochemistry and <clears throat> who knows where that would have ended? Maybe to the same place. We've, we've got plenty of biochemists in Alpha, to be fair. Yep. But from the moment that my parents bought me an Atari console in 1980-something or other and then queued round the block for that, that sparkling and magical 48K ZX Spectrum as opposed to the, uh, the 16K, because <laughs> nobody would want that. And I started coding. And I really, really like coding, and it suits me. It suits the engineer in me. It's problem solving. Um, I like tech and uh, it's great because I, I run a tech company now. So um, I found myself in the right place. I was sort of forgetting that as um, I had these, uh, these grand ideas of going and doing something very, very academic. But at the same time, I was able to have, let's do some work experience at a, a local company that made electricity meters. Um, okay. The company was then, then called Slumberger. Right. Um, and it's someone else now. And my, my experience was in the IT department, and I, I, it was called data processing at the time. That's how old it is. Starting from folding music rules, sheet paper, to doing technical support and getting involved in coding these big manufacturing systems. A gentleman called Mel Moss took me under his wing, and he said, we could probably get you sponsored through university. And, and I'm definitely not going to go with, um, I had a background like uh, an, an upbringing like somebody like Eminem. But without the sponsorship and definitely without a grant, a family would have struggled for me to go to uni. Right. So, so that sounded great, right? But he said, there is a kicker. You are going to do something that we can use. Uh, and it turns out that we have no biochemistry going on around here. So at that point, I, I changed tack and off I trotted to Brunel to do a degree called computing in business. And it was kind of like a joint honors. It worked really well. And I could, I could code and I could read books about business and, um, and, it, and it ended well. But I think, you know, I got a good degree and I enjoyed my time because I was doing something that I really love with the people I love. And uh, my professor uh, at the time, Peter Thomas, who was also a co-founder of the Leasing Foundation that you, uh, you, you mentioned earlier, Yes. Um, so you can tell we're still in touch as, you know, become a great friend. So uh, it, it feels that that little pivot in my life was a was a good decision. And as I said, I feel like I might have dodged a bullet. Interesting inflection point. That, that's that's absolutely fantastic. What a great, great opportunity that was, which you, you clearly jumped on. So so fantastic. Aside from the, the work and aside from the course itself, you know, I, I guess in this day and age, people are often wondering what, what is the value of a university? And I think I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's pros and cons, but I'd just be interested in your thoughts. You know, if you were advising a school leaver in relation to, should I go to university? Should I get into the workforce? Hard to, hard to be specific, I know, because it's obviously down to the individual. Um, but, you know, what, what would your general thoughts be having gone through the, the university system? I think it's an extension of all those good things at school. So um, it's a it's it's a further development of you as a human being, isn't it? Um, you're you're in a reasonably sheltered, structured environment, but you know suddenly you you have left um, the box room in your parents' house if um, if that's your situation. So for me, I think that's soft landing, and I, I'm not convinced I was I was necessarily ready for the um, for the world at the point I went to university. I felt a lot more ready afterwards. I think it's a way of of application, rigor, methodology, learning, learning to learn. Right. Um, but it's definitely not the only way. And I think I think there are lots of other environments, apprenticeships, different different structures that can achieve the same thing. And and again, it's it, it's aligned, I think, with what I was um, I was saying about you know do do the do the things you enjoy. And definitely don't do a thing that you you don't enjoy. Um, yes, 
and, and university is not the only way into into a good year, a good career specifically not now yeah so um so it works for some people it's an environment that works for some people it worked for me i'm quite studious but it doesn't necessarily work for others but i don't what the value is not and i think this is very very important is not necessarily what you learn definitely a denton view but i think the real value in university is is how you learn yeah so if you if you look at what i did i learned about lots of academic programming languages that really aren't used in the real world so it's a bit like the difference for me between passing your driving test and then you kind of learn to drive through um, <laughs> through experience and yes. uh, and it turns out there's a motorway there as well um, <laughs> you know wh whilst it gave me a grounding it's not necessarily current for very long and um i i certainly from a few very small things there's there's not a lot that i flick back into my university days into now but it it definitely gives you structure, gives you that framework of learning, which itself then backs up the idea and certainly an attitude that we have with Alpha. We're not necessarily looking for subjects yes. um, when we hire graduates. We're just looking for great graduates. Yeah. yeah. I think what you're saying, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I think what you're saying is it allowed for a little bit of a maturing process before going into totally. the workforce. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and not everybody needs the soft landing. I was... Um, probably a bit bit more juvenile so um it, that was a really good thing for me and and yeah i you know, enjoyed everything about university you know, even more sports cheap bar yeah. um opportunity <laughs> to make new friends being away from home feeling feeling like an adult but yeah. you know there are plenty of other environments that you can get those things too yeah totally so we're sort of uh heading out of university uh, and into the workforce but you did I I enjoy a, a another working period before you joined alpha so so tell us about your your first job after university and perhaps link that to how did it lead into Alpha? Yeah, so my, my first job post-university, and in fact, during university for summer placements was with was, was the people who sponsored me. And like any good sponsorship agreement, there was a, a period that, that I needed to work for um, this organisation. Um, an amazing business card that had the job title Graduate of Information Technology. Uh, and without being potty-mouthed on your podcast, I didn't notice what that what the acronym was there, um, but plenty of other people noticed it on my behalf, of course. Um, and, and that was great. I, I, I learned a lot. I was in uh, I was in suddenly a organization where, you know, you have people actually use your code, and and that was new and that that was different. I certainly felt that I was well supported. It was a, but I, I sort of felt I want some other wanted some other things, maybe a. There's no reason for me to uh, think back and, and think I did the wrong thing, I suppose. And, and at the time, it felt like like the right decision. Organization was very global. Yeah. And for me to, to, me to make an impact, um, I would need to probably move to, to Mont Rouge in, um, in France for career progression. And that me didn't feel all that ready for it. The other thing that, that the me didn't feel ready for, which I think is, is right, um, was, was the right decision for sure was um was as far as i could go because I, I looked at it and i thought well okay you're you're a graduate of information technology you could become an analyst programmer a programmer a data processing manager and, and that's your lot um, yeah. you know, that that is your career and that's as far as you can take it so i quite liked the idea of consultancy i didn't really know what it was but i i interviewed with a, a organization it was then called chp consulting now alpha had a very compelling job advert that said it said a few things that caught my eye it was about consulting so it was it was not internal client facing it was actually customer facing which would be um a lot of variety it was financial services oriented and this country boy quite liked the idea of the city of london and, I, and i've stayed there for i might not be sitting there now but i've stayed there um at, at least in spirit for for 25 years now so and so, yeah, it was it was a decision perhaps to broaden my horizons a little bit, and um, and so I left with with great respect and and not a few tears that first job at Slumberjay. You, you know, I, I find it interesting listening to you. you. You sounded like you went through a quite a logical decision process in looking for something else. W was that the case, or you know, like? For many others, it's it's a it's a mixture of of logic and emotion when making a career decision. But how was it for you? It feels like it was step by step. But was that the case? It, it was pretty logical, but you know you've got to follow your heart um, a little bit. And there's you know, there's nothing massively logical about about wanting to 
work in the square mile. It just was a thing that that I fancied doing, and I, I found the idea stimulating. But yeah, largely it was logical. I mean, I, at the time, you know, and it it is an important thing. Um, you can only possibly make decisions within within the environment that you're in, with the variables and the information that 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 you have access to. Mm-hmm. So I think my analysis of my opportunity within that organisation, right? I'm sure I would have learned to speak to speak French or, or another language, and and potentially I was a little bit narrow-minded in that respect. But certainly, with the the experience through which I was able to process those decisions, it was it was logical. Going back again, you started making good decisions, interesting decisions, decisions for yourself when you were earlier, you know, earlier on at school. I mean, we we already discussed about it. You're making a big decision here by this time you know, through your school years, into university, into your first job, then making that decision. Just out of curiosity, was decision-making like that, was it natural to you? Or did you just still have to work at it? Or did it just flow? I still have to work at it a bit. Um, you know, I'm lucky to be surrounded by people and you never you never have to make a, a decision on your own anymore. I mean, ultimately, there will be a, a, a potentially a buck stops point. But I think if, if trusted colleagues are disagreeing with you and disagreeing potentially with each other, then then you at least need to ventilate all of, all of those arguments. Um, I, I program myself not to have regrets and to have decision regrets, but I am a warrior, and uh, you know I'm, I'm one of these people. If I scratch the car on the side of the, the the garage, having done a bad job of backing it in, there will be probably lost sleep and um, <laughs> God, why did I do that? Why why was I looking over at a rhododendron when I should have been looking at in in the rear view mirror? So yeah, I do. I do fret. I think it's, you know, I think, I think we've all got the the attributes that we've got, and you know, you can you, you can you can program yourself in in certain ways. But I'm I'm a bit of a believer in in the yin and yang side of things. So the I'm quite a high velocity individual. So having a, a high clock speed means that I'm perhaps a little bit too over enthusiastic sometimes. Tendency to fret, a little bit overkill in terms of energy sometimes, but then. You know, there are plenty of positive attributes that, that come with that. You've just got to ride it. But, you know, the, the major thing in terms of, of decisions, which I think I have successfully programmed my, myself to do, is just don't regret them. There, there are tons of decisions that felt right at the time. And you fast forward a year, two years, and you think, why on earth did I do that? Mm-hmm. And you've just got to have to put yourself inside your own shoes at, at the time that you did that as as I did with leaving Slombergen, I think, well, you know, the framework based on the experiences I've had at the time, the fact that the world wasn't ever so global. So it seems absurd, given the international company that I, I have the privilege of running today, that I didn't fancy a spell in France. But, you know, that was that that was the framework I had to make the decision. And, and in that sense, it was the correct decision. I can look at myself in the eye and think, yeah, all right, you did that right. Yeah. But the, but the major thing is not to not to use the benefit of, of twenty twenty hindsight, which is a, a very easy thing to do, and, and you know you'll you'll tear yourself to pieces that way. It's, yeah, uh, it, look, it's not positive energy. Look forward, not necessarily look back, but learn from Correct. it. But it's, it's it's very interesting. I mean, I, I you know, appreciate the the openness in terms of how you feel about how you work. I think that's really really interesting. I'm sure people will relate to that. So we move on to Alpha. So you joined Alpha in 1995. Now, many, many years later, we look back and we see that you've built or been part of and now eventually and eventually led, you know, the business to a fantastic through a fantastic growth period. You know, it's a it's a leader in its in its industry. You placed the the business onto the public markets a few years ago. Um, the business has gone through, you know, you've gone from strength to strength. So, you know, clearly you, you've achieved a hell of a lot during this time period. Just looking back over the years now, can you, you know, and with, you know, perhaps relate it more to Alpha than than anything else? But as you've gone through this period with Alpha, you know, what has been the biggest factor that has led to your success within Alpha? Are there one or two items that you can remember? You think, yeah, you know what, that was a big, that was a quite a pivotal point, or that was a, a great inflection point. Yeah, um, it's a difficult one that. To figure out, okay, well, when did it really, really, really happen? I think as an organisation at at Alpha, I'm not going to call it sink or swim because the support networks are, um, mean that that you can't sink. But we absolutely back talent. You know, the old um, I'll, I'll revert to football, but the thing they said about this shows my age as well. The thing they said about Michael Owen when um, he was, um, you know, barely out of school and, and playing for England and Liverpool that if you are 
if you're good enough, you are old enough. And the idea of of experience, if it's real experience, is is really important. But you know, there are there are jobs, there are paths where actually your experience is is having the same experience every year for for many years, and and you're not necessarily you're not necessarily growing. So we're a company that backs talent. In turn, I have my opportunity. I did quite well at the opportunity. I was very fortunate to have a great mentor at the time, Andrew Page, who's uh, Alpha's chairman. Yep. Uh, um, 25 years later, I started off being quite quite scared of him because uh, he's very, very, very smart and very good at what he does. But today, I, I would call him my best friend. But he, you know, back in those early days, spotted some talent and and backed me as he did with with many others, and many of whom are. Um, are still with the company. One of one of whom is uh, absolute right hand man and great chum, um, Matthew White, the COO. I think that the thing that and th- this reflects back to the point about not always knowing what you're good at. So, I definitely wasn't a good biochemist. I was for a bit a decent developer, but Alpha's developers will will tell you that I'm not. Um, <laughs> but it does turn out that I'm all right at talking and relationships and thinking about big pictures. And I had an engagement for the then CHP consulting at a, a medium-sized subsidiary of the Royal Bank of Scotland. And it was a great experience for me. I, I lived in Cheltenham for a bit. But the thing that it worked out was that I could do relationships. And right. my job uh, ever since with a, uh, with a small blip where potentially I took myself too seriously, which I'm happy to explore, I've, um, it's been relationships ever since. And that's what I do today. Adam, you you know you have sight of the top team at, at Alpha. We have an amazing chief financial officer, an incredible COO who keeps everything moving. So I'm able to focus on what I enjoy doing and what I think I'm good at. And um, I've been heard to say that between the three of us, we're we're a very decent chief exec. Um, <laughs> but, you know, r- relationship selling technology, it's what I enjoy doing, and it's uh, my great luck that it's what I usually get to do. Isn't it interesting that? You might you might have viewed your now you view yourself differently in terms of what you're good at compared to yeah. what you might have viewed yourself as being good at way back when. In the yeah. sense that you you kind of backed yourself with your developing then, but kind of back yourself in a different way now. Yeah, totally. But you know the the, the latent relationship guy, I think I think was always there. You know, being a software engineer is um is a great first step on the ladder. But I guess you know to to those um, listening, your your view of what you're good at and what you actually want to do will evolve. And for me, it's still evolving. You know, it's, it's evolved in the last two or three years. And don't fight that. It's part of humanity. And it's a really, really good thing. When you're looking for an employer, just make sure that you've, you're, you're somewhere that affords you that space to grow, as opposed to fighting the inevitability that you will want to grow change tech. We have at Alpha, we have developers who become uh, what we would call implementers, the, the more customer-facing people, and vice versa, and some people who have their career in the middle of the two. I think that sounds like very sane advice, and, and I'm sure the listeners will take that to heart. Let's get a bit tactical uh, for a minute here, Andy. I'm interested in the variety of work as CEO of Alpha. What is what is your typical day look like? What does your typical week look like? It's... Um... As you can imagine, it's it's very very varied. I I like to spend as much time as um, as possible with customers, and so there'll be a lot of um, there'll be a lot of customer interaction. Alpha doesn't have a vast number of customers, so actually having a having a relationship with the uh, the people who use our product at all levels uh, in the business, and of course many of these we very rarely lose a customer. So. Many of these are very, very long-standing relationships and, and, and people who I would consider friends now. So definitely a lot of that. I like to be involved in sales. I'm an absolute thorn in the side of the chief revenue officer because, because I, I enjoy doing um, that part of the business. And, and frankly, you know what we sell is a big ticket item. So if you are going to buy that big ticket item, you do want to, to look the chief exec in the eye. And I'm not daft enough to know that sometimes when people want to meet me, they want to meet my job title as opposed to necessarily me. Lots of meetings. Yeah. I, I have a great, um, we call it the CLT, the company leadership team. We, we speak these d- days via Zoom once a week. I speak with, with Duncan, um, our CFO, once a, a week. And 
Matthew, I bug him on the uh, the operations side, and he bugs me to do the things I say I'm going to do um, every day. Speak with our chairman uh, every day, which of course is is no chore. And then the rest of the time is is spent doing all sorts of stuff. Um, we're a PLC, as you said, so there's lots of seasonality about a PLC. In the UK, you would report with the uh, the London Stock Exchange uh, twice a year, which means going and telling the people who invest in you how you're doing twice a year. If that's the US, it's four times. So I get to speak to investors in a concentrated way twice a year, but I speak to investors kind of all the time. Our investors are, are, are great. And actually, you learn from them. You know, it's, it's not all going to be plain sailing, but, you know, what a great privilege it is to be able to talk to some of the, um, some of the best technology investors in the world and, and get their view on, um, on your strategy and what you're doing. You know, you, you shouldn't broadcast this, but I almost view it as, uh, as free consulting. You can, but um, <laughs> hopefully they're not going to listen and start charging me. Um, and then, then the rest of the time, and I think this is really, really important to me, Adam, is, is just getting stuck in, I suppose. You know, we, particularly in these funny days where we're all on Zoom, we have, we have breakfast, we have coffee roulette. Um, once a month, we sort of invite a random number of people to, to have lunch and um, everybody's got to tell a good story about themselves. Um, so my dad's name story is uh, that disappeared about four years ago and I'm, I'm running on empty now. Um, and I pride myself on, I know it's a cliche, the open door policy, but everything that we do at Alpha, whether it's the, the communities that we have to make sure that the, the minority groups in, in Alpha have a voice, whether it's the way that we do innovation, all of these things are bottom-up, top-down supported. And if you're not talking to people regularly, you're not going to get that bottom-up vibe. Mm. And, and my greatest pleasure is when somebody says, I'd like to do, I don't know, this actually happened. We'd like to do a hackathon. And uh, can we pitch it? You, I said, you don't need to. I think it's a great idea. Go and organize it. Come back when you're done. Fantastic. And, and as a leader, there's nothing that gives you more joy than being able to do something like that. And I, I, do spend, I do spend time with industry connections. I spend time with connections, some of whom I regard as being a bit of a reverse or two-way mentoring model. So, And then a little bit of time to think. I think the important thing is leading by example in terms of work-life balance as well. I definitely work hard, but everybody at Alpha knows that on a Friday, I'm, I'm in a second relationship now. Um, so I see my kids every other weekend. Yeah, uh, It's great. If the school runs imminent, I am gone. Um, and whatever's going on can um, can wait until a bit later in the evening or, uh, or, or, or uh, more appropriately to, to Monday. And it's important that you're setting that example because then other people will work hard, deliver well, but also uh, preserve their own mental health and work-life balance. I think some great, great life lessons there. And, and what, what I think is really interesting and will be interesting for some of the younger folk who are kind of look, looking at the world and thinking, what, what do I do? Well, you know, if they can elevate themselves to a leadership position, it, it's clear that, you know, there's opportunity to, you know, to, you know, have a, have a fantastic variety in, in their work, which I think is, you know, which drives energy. So I, I, think, I think it's great to hear about your leadership time. Another tactical question how do you organize your time? And by the way, were you organized when you were younger? Yes, ruthlessly. Okay. Um, I'm a, yeah, it's my neurological backbone, I suppose, is, um, is, is being very tidy and being pretty organized. My, uh, the vinyl that I have in this room is, is relentlessly um, <laughs> alphabetically organized with subsections. So yeah, that, that kind of is me. I'm very fortunate that I'm able to rely on, on, Natalie to help me balance diary conflicts and actually look after my interest and make sure that there are little slots because it, it is really, really easy to go from thing to thing to thing to thing and not have the time to think. But I'm a to-do list guy. Uh, I've had lots and lots of different kinds of to-do lists and lots of technologies and I'm using Microsoft to do with a, a remarkable writing device is, is my current thing. I can be faddy. So I move to-do list technologies, but the one thing that's constant is I love a to-do list. So yeah, that's how I organize my time. <laughs> Let me ask you, you though, on to-do list. Would you impose a to-do list mentality on folk generally, whoever we're, whoever the audience is, at whatever stage of life cycle they're at? Would you impose that to-do list mentality on them? Or is it just that it works really well for you? It would, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't absolutely not impose that on anybody. And the reason I wouldn't do that, the reason I think it's a bad idea is 
everybody knows this. Of course they do. But inclusion and diversity makes business better. Yeah. And, yes. and this is obvious. Um, it's, it's not just the right thing to do because it is self-evidently the right thing not to be a bigot. I mean, that's also obvious. Yes. But having people from different backgrounds with different ideas, different viewpoints, different contentions just makes better decisions, better innovation, um, and it's a better place to be. I don't want to hang out with people who look like me and are yeah. like me. Yeah. One of the types of diversity that I think is somewhat overlooked, but you would never overlook it uh, in an engineering group, um, is neurodiversity. Okay. I think if you push people down, it's an apt word, isn't it, one particular pathway, I think it makes them less effective. It just so happens that my neurological makeup means that to-do lists work for me. But if I if I impose that on an engineer, I might actually get a less good engineer, less good software and less ideas. So I think you spend a few years and you'll you'll find the way of organization that works for you, but there is not one right answer. I'd be sure of that. I think that's really I think that's really interesting. Last question for you regarding your your time at Alpha as it has been and as it will be going forward is if I was a uh, an eighteen year old coming out of school, if I was a graduate coming out of university, and I wanted to apply for a job at Alpha, you know, how does someone get to work at, a, at your company, or even maybe less so at your company, but a company like yours, and of which there aren't that many, but of course, but but you know, what would your advice be to to that person? Advice would would be to it, it's an interesting one because. We're we'll probably be about four hundred people by the end of the year, and um, that's not huge. You know, we're not talking thousands and thousands of people, but in terms of of intake of people, you know, starting their career with us, it does give us limitations just in sheer throughput, and we do get thousands of people applying for applying for jobs. So principally, we look for people with good academics or a good background, and we'll bring probably. 40, 50 through each year. And we have a big American operation. So we, we, we will bring people through in both of our major territories in, in, in EMEA and, and the US. Beyond that, we're looking for people who are smart and likable and don't exude that hubris and arrogance we talked about earlier. And we like different and we absolutely love different. So we're maybe cookie cuttering it, it, it a bit in terms of the way that we get graduates. But I think there's a that's a little bit necessary, but what um, the great folk in our HR team are doing is making sure we cast the net widely as we can. And it's been really fascinating kind of listening to uh, you talk about your, your life and uh, uh, both at school and university and also uh, through your time at Alpha. Just, just coming on to lasting messages and advice for the, for the population and out there, for the audience out there. Uh, a couple of questions. What advice would you give your 18-year-old self now as you look back? I, I think these are these are things that we have uh, touched on. I would I would reinforce humility because I think it it is just so important. That's not to say you can't be confident, but try and be humble. I would I would absolutely pass on the learning that we talked about earlier around. You don't have to see the end of the journey. Don't feel that just because in any aspect of your of your life actually and this is not just career that particularly mainstream media will portray a certain life a certain journey a certain way of being a lot of which are actually false anyway that might not be and probably isn't your journey but you also very reasonably can't see the end of your journey so take the next step yes um and then have a look around and maybe turn right <laughs> and and also uh, um what mistakes have you made along the way? Maybe just pick for the moment one or two that you've really learned from. Um, I definitely was right to, to quit cross-country running. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you an, an important mistake that um, I think a lot, of, a lot of leaders make, and I also want to note that, that leadership is a very diffuse concept that we certainly at Alpha believe in, in the idea of leader leaders. So on that basis, everybody's a leader one way or another. Is is you get something, you get you get an opportunity, or you get a promotion. Um, and the one that I think I probably made a bit of a mistake on was when somebody pointed at me and said, "Right, you're chief exec." Um, <laughs> it's very easy to sort of fold yourself into uh, an image of what is, uh, you think a chief exec, what you think a senior consultant, what you think a teacher, whatever it is should be. 
forget what you're good at, forget what you enjoy doing, and in in some cases, forget why you got there. And you think about it, it, it's absurd, the abandonment of all the things that made somebody point at you and say, be a chief exec or be a university professor or whatever. But I won't be the first person to do it and think, oh, crikey, right, um, I need to be much better um, and much more onto the finances. I need to be much more onto the operations. The, the right answer is just to make sure that you, um, there's an extent to which you need to be on the things that you're leading. Of course there are. Um, and our investors and stakeholders expect me to. But the major point, and just about everybody who I admire in leadership has surrounded themselves with people who make up for their own shortcomings. Yes. Interesting. Uh, and actually, you know, of course, it's the higher, better people who are better than you. That's the only way forward. But you know, having, having the leadership team around me that I have allows me to do what I believe I excel at and definitely in, enjoy doing. But yeah, a couple of years, I, I made that mistake. I think that's brilliant advice. Really good. And leads us nicely into my last bit of fun, which is I have 12 statements here, which I'm going to read out. And they are drawn from our conversation today. And I want you to score them. Score them out of 10 for me and tell me how, tell the audience and tell me how important they are. And if you want to add any commentary, you're welcome to do so. But here we, here we go. So Mr. Garman had a major impact on your team understanding. Seven. <laughs> No qualification there. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I think Mr. Mr. Garnham allowing me to play in a rugby team. Um, uh, it was the team itself that gave me the understanding, but certainly he opened the door. Good point. Good point. Your father said to you once, "Time and space," and that sounds like a very wise statement. Uh, yes, uh, ten. You've got to have time and space. Don't look to solve the longer-term future too quickly. Look at the present. Ten. Depending on how much of this uh, this conversation is on the uh, the cutting room floor, that probably shouldn't be qualifying. But in every type of decision making, on every type of journey, I think it's so important because the corollary of not doing that is crippled by contention, ambiguity, sometimes opportunity. Yeah. So y- you can only possibly score the goal that's in front of you. Do something you really enjoy. Oh, 10. There you go. Thank you to Mel Moss for the inflection point in your life. Well, he's still in HR, I believe, and possibly listening, so absolutely a 10. <laughs> but actually, actually, thank you to Mel Moss for supporting a sometimes confused young man and uh, giving him uh, an open door. And, and actually, t- I think it was Mel that told me to just um, uh, lay off the cologne a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so also, also the... Uh, the strength of character to uh, give constructive criticism. So yeah, thank you to Mel for those things. Follow your heart. Um, it's important, uh, but head's important too. So I'm going to do five out of 10 and I'm going to give head the other five. Well, there you go. There you go. This will test you, given what you said about your, your scraping the car against the garage uh, garage door. Don't sweat the small things. It, it should be a 10, shouldn't it? But it depends on what you mean by a small thing. I I think attention to detail is huge. I think... Quality in organizations huge. And I don't think you can sort of turn quality on and off. You can't sort of have no quality at all in an email that you send to a colleague and then suddenly switch on quality in an email that you send to a customer. So attention to detail, that kind of sweating the small stuff is important. Generally, though, sweating the small stuff, not important. So I'm going to give, I'm going to give it a seven. But one of the other things that's important is to be self-aware. You know, no know your weaknesses, know the know your makeup so that you can um, compensate where necessary and actually have people around you um, who are able to say, it doesn't really matter that much, whether that's in your personal life or at work. No regrets. I think, <laughs> I think you definitely, I think it's important to give yourself the best opportunity of no regrets. And I think in particular, the thing that I was talking about before, which is that certainly if you made a decent decision based on based on the information that you had available to you at the time and that decision today looks ludicrous with the benefit of n years n months of new information just be mindful of that but i definitely can't say no regrets because because people who do awful things in life really ought to regret them (laughs) Um, but if you if you make the best decisions you can at the time you shouldn't regret them and if you make defensible decisions that weren't right then just learn from them but 
I'm I'm definitely not saying that um, the person in the in the the little bit of video I was speaking to this morning, who's racially abusing Ian Wright on social media, should have no regrets. I think that person should wake up and regret what they've done every day. Yeah. So I'm going to give it. A, I'm going to give it a highly qualified eight. I like, we, we, we like that. Look to enjoy different experiences every year of your life. Progress. Progression's important. So there are lots and lots of ways in which progression manifests itself, and it doesn't have to be stereotypical career progression, financial progression. But yeah, get different experiences because that gives you personal diversity and a different different viewpoint. So, so that kind of progression, yes, absolutely, and believe in it. And if you're not moving forward in some way, then you ought to take steps to move forward. But these don't have to be cliched, stereotypical ways of moving forward. So you'd score that. I'd score at nine. That's a high score. We, 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 we like that. And we're on the last three of the, the Andy Denton statements. And, and you know, what, what you are good at and what you want to do will evolve. Be patient and don't fight it. Yeah, absolutely. But, but do question it. So I'm going to go 10 with, with the rider that you should constantly question it because your environment, your stage in career, your stage in life, um, everything is contextual. We, we all see a different rainbow. Um, so just be aware as you make decisions that we're we're all flawed and there are environmental factors in, in, in everything that, that we do. But yes, it's got to be a 10, hasn't it? Fantastic. Balance is important, family and work. Balance is vital. Um, and actually balance balance is vital to work. Um, if you if you burn people out and you don't allow them to to do and have more than work. Um, then I don't think you get the best out of your people and I think you'll turn great people into less great people. So balance is vital in in every way. So 10, yeah. And finally, humility and confidence. The combination is key. Yes. Be be confident. And again, part of that is is where you are. Um, And so to an extent, your confidence, if we expand that to belonging, is, is kind of in your own hands, you know, and we've talked about how to get how to get a job and how to get a job at Alpha and notionally how you get a job at other places. Always remember that you're interviewing as well. You're not all just the person being interviewed. So I'm a fairly confident person, but I can be put into situations that make me less confident and I bet I could do a job um, or be in surroundings that would make me less confident. So confidence is important, but note that it, it is environmental. Um, and I think humility is 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 also vital. It's a very fine line, isn't it? And as I said, I can I, I I've got a cocky gene as well. But ultimately, don't get ahead of yourselves because the the major reason in business and in life, I think humility is important. Is is it stops you? It st- stops failure. Um, you know, the moment that you you get that level of unshakable self belief and uh, back to my car, stop looking in the rear view mirror, stop looking sideways, three hundred and sixty degrees or whatever, then um, you're likely to start getting it wrong in my life. Andy, this has been a fantastic uh, chat. It's it's been thoroughly enjoyable. I think um, I think what our listeners will really appreciate is is uh, your openness, um, your openness in relation to uh, the learning that you've done about the done on yourself that you've achieved about yourself um, over the years, and also the experiences that you've gone through both at school, at university, and with your long career at Alpha. But really, it's been a fantastic chat. I really appreciate your time. You know, thank you very much indeed. And, um, you know, it will be lovely to chat with you again at some point. But for the moment, Andy, it's been fantastic. Well, thanks, Adam. Adam thanks for the opportunity. If, if either as object lessons or as lessons I've, uh, I've helped somebody along the way, then, uh, then it's definitely worth the, the small-time contribution. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. That's the key. Fantastic. Thank you, Andy. Thank you.